you for your invitation to come and uh, lead your service this morning. Um, some of you may remember that I've been here a couple of times before, um, but it's really nice when you're invited back. That's always a good thing. Uh, so thank you for that. And I bring with me the greetings of my home church, East Mains, uh, where I still worship. Uh, we're thinking about you and we're praying for you in this time. Uh, so let me just say that from them to you. Just as we come to worship, uh, let me read to you some verses that Paul writes at the start of Ephesians. He writes this. All praise to God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. Let's pray together. Loving God, we give you thanks and praise for you have made us and you've given us life. You've redeemed us and you've set us free. Loving God, we give you thanks and praise for you have found us and made us your own. You've named us and you call us beloved. Accompanying God, we give you thanks and praise for you have promised to be with us always and nothing can separate us from your love. God, you're our God and we love you and we adore you. And yet, God, we confess that we have sinned in our thoughts, in our deeds, in our words. We've not loved you as we ought to have done. And so in your mercy, we ask that this morning you would forgive what we've been and that you would help us to amend who we are and that you would direct us from today on into the rest of this week. And together this morning we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The reading this morning is Psalm 23, and I'm reading from the Good News Bible on page 549. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He lets me rest in fields of green grass and leads me to quiet pools of fresh water. He gives me new strength. He guides me in the right paths as he has promised. Even if I go through the deepest darkness, I will not be afraid, Lord, for you are with me. Your shepherd's rod and staff protect me. You prepare a banquet for me where all my enemies can see me. You welcome me as an honoured guest and fill my cup to the brim. I know that your goodness and love will be with me all my life and your house will be my home as long as I live. Amen.
When I was at college, every day um, at 10.30, everything stops at SBC. And what happens is you kind of get let out of classes. and all, We all congregate together in this one teaching room for what we call prayers. Uh, and really all it is is it's a time when we all come together outside of classes and one of the community, whether it's a student or a lecturer, will lead in some form of devotion around a particular Bible passage that they've picked or that, that's been set for them and we'll pray together. And it becomes this really precious time, this time when we just are together in God's presence. And I can remember way back in first year, a few years ago now, Jim Gordon leading one of these mornings, and you know Jim Gordon well, and you know how well read he is. And one of the things that he suggested to us students was that we find a theologian that we would walk alongside The term he used was a a conversation partner, someone whose books we'd read, whose articles we'd find, whose ideas we'd engage with, and who would become, in a sense, a friend for us. And in in first year, you kind of want to please your principal, so I I went searching for my theologian, and it, it quickly became this guy called Walter Brueggemann. He's this American theologian, he's um, a scholar, Old Testament scholar and professor who writes prolifically and deeply about what it means to be God's people in a world that doesn't seem to be as it should be, and yet anticipates this coming day when God will make everything right. And so he is my friend, my conversation partner. And at the same time as that, I've realized that as a preacher kind of going out and speaking in loads of different churches, you end up speaking on a whole bunch of different passages all the time and never quite resting somewhere. And so for a little while this year, wherever I go, I'm going to preach on a psalm. Just so that even as I go around preaching, I have somewhere to rest for a while. And so with that in mind, as I was preparing for this morning, I turned to my dear friend, Walter Brueggemann. And I started reading some of the stuff he has to say. And when it comes to the Psalms, he has this idea that Psalms fit into one of three categories. Psalms are either Psalms of orientation, Psalms of disorientation, or Psalms of new orientation. And by that, what he means is Psalms of orientation are Psalms that the writer has written when it feels like life is going great when you feel really distanced from trouble and you can speak about God's goodness in that kind of everything is wonderful way. Psalms of disorientation, he says, are written when trouble seems to be right at your door and when life is tough and difficult and you feel anger and resentment or hurt and you can't see the way out and you want to kind of express some of that to God because life is disorientated. And what he says about psalms of new orientation is that they are psalms in which you've just passed through the trouble and you've come out the other side and are able to kind of speak afresh about God's goodness and God's faithfulness and God's leading. Not from, not from the place where everything is wonderful, but from where you've just emerged into a new day. Psalm 23 that was read really beautifully for us, he would say, is one of these psalms of new orientation. He would say it's a psalm in which the writer is writing because they've experienced trouble and have come out the other side. And they're writing now proclaiming God's faithfulness and God's presence even in the midst of the trouble they've just been through. I like what he says there, but I also think that in it, 
there are some disorientating things. I mean, to say that you have a feast prepared for you in the midst of your enemies kind of presupposes that you have enemies. It presupposes trouble. To be walking through a dark valley presupposes danger and threats. There are disorientating things in the psalm. And yet there are things that that seem to come as if he's really distanced from trouble, as if nothing is wrong and everything is wonderful. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. The psalm is for everybody, no matter what you're going through, whether life is amazing and wonderful or whether it's really troubled at the moment or whether you've just come out the other side. And at the same time, there are loads of different people who have different ideas on when the psalm was written. Some say David wrote it when he was a young shepherd taking care of his father's flock, and so they kind of attribute it to that time in his life. Others say he wrote it while he was the king, and he was going through troubled times, and had just come out the other side of of one of those kind of experiences. And yet others say that he wrote it when he was old, and when he was looking back on his life and reflecting on what God had done. I'm not sure which one it is. But kind of like the psalm being for everyone, no matter what you're going through in life. It's a psalm that's for everyone, no matter what age you are in life. Whether you're young, whether you're middle-aged, whether you're slightly older. The psalm has amazing things to speak to us. And a bit like what I was talking about when I, when I shared about you know, having those bits of Bible that we bring out on special occasions. Oftentimes, Psalm 23 is one of those well-loved, well-known, often quoted Psalms that means that at times it can mean so much to us. And then at other times, we just read it as if we know it all. And so my prayer for this morning would be that as we just spend a little bit of time resting in the psalm. And just spend some time, not focusing on everything that's in there, but just on a couple of the images that are there. God would encounter us afresh. Whether life is amazing, whether life is troubled whether we feel like we've just come out the other side of this horrible experience, whether we're young, whether we're middle-aged, or whether we're older, that God would speak to us afresh and assure us of his presence in all those different situations. Just as we get ready to kind of look at some of those themes that are in there, let me just read to you the psalm again, just to remind us of it. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, which puts things slightly differently than the good news. And this is what it says. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honour to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies and you honour me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. When David's writing this, he's writing it knowing about shepherding. He's been one and so for him the image isn't just this nice polite one, it's one that's rich with meaning. He knows that shepherds' primary job is to care and to protect the sheep that are in their care. And so while we kind of read this and we think of lush green fields and the shepherd kind of just lazing back and the sheep just getting on with grazing, 
David, when he's writing this, knows that shepherding is a hard job. And while at times that might be what the picture looks like, it might be that there's loads of lush grass around, actually the majority of the time when David was a shepherd, he had to take the sheep for miles to find food, to find shelter, to find water. The ground was dry and was barren. And as if that wasn't hard enough, sheep are not renowned for being the most intelligent of creatures. They kind of wander off, they do their own thing. Other times they just follow the flock, not quite sure what's going on, but just deciding they want to be in there. Shepherding is not an easy job. Perhaps that's why he calls God his shepherd. He knows that God is up to the challenge and is up to the title. He lives up to that name. David recognises in himself that he doesn't know the best thing all the time. He doesn't always do the best thing for himself. He's a sheep. But he knows the shepherd. And the shepherd is good. And the shepherd is one who provides. The shepherd is one who provides not just some of the time. Not just when the ground is looking good. But the shepherd provides all of the time. And in in proclaiming this, what David is saying is that he will lack nothing. God will always provide what he needs, but it comes not from David's initiative, but from God's. God initiates, God leads, and David follows. The shepherd leads the sheep, not the other way round. And as he responds to what God does in his life, he finds that his strength is renewed and he has everything that he needs. He will lack nothing. Not that he'll get everything he desires, but what he needs, he will never lack. And God does this for God's sake. He does it in order to bring honour to his name. Because in a sense, it's God's reputation that's on the line when David is calling him the good shepherd. As soon as you name someone and link them with an action, you've given them responsibility over that action, haven't you? And so David is saying that God is his shepherd He's linking him to that action and God lives up to that name. He remains true to who he says he is. His actions reflect on his character and his character is good and his character is one that provides for his people. He's the one who's able to give rest because rest can be found in him. He's the shepherd who's able to lead by peaceful streams because he is the God of peace. He is what he does. And yet in calling God his good shepherd, David is not saying that life will be easy. The valley of darkness, or the deepest valley as the NLT calls it, is both kind of literal and metaphorical. Shepherds, when they were taking the sheep to find shelter and water and food, they would have to lead them through dark, deep ravines at times. And there were many threats in those places. And and so when David is saying this, he's recognizing that life is difficult that life is tough, that there are times when death is knocking on your door, both in a really kind of real sense, as well as things that are just associated with death. Worry, anxiety, despair, all of them are death things. They're not things that bring life, they're not things that energize. And David writes, acknowledging that at times the stench of death hangs in the air. Yet at the same time, He writes of a shepherd who doesn't abandon the sheep in the darkest valley, but leads them through. And it's not some cliche or some vain thought, but a real hope and a promise that is grounded in the reality of who God is and what God does. 
shadows are only formed where there is light. And so in the NIV, it talks about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. There can only be a shadow of light is present. And so David doesn't talk about the blackness of the valley. He talks about the shadow, knowing that there is light present, that God is near, that God hasn't abandoned. The God who walks beside doesn't walk so far in front that he can't be seen or so far behind that he's not seen either. He walks beside and close. And for his rod and his staff to comfort, he has to be close enough to be able to touch, to be able to reach out and put his hand on. David realizes that he has everything he needs, even in the darkest times. Even in the darkest times, there will not be a time when God is not there, when God is not close enough to reach out and touch. And there's never going to be a time when God can't reach out and touch him. The fear that he feels, the anxiety, the worry, the death that's in the air doesn't have to have the final word. God will have the final word. Because the shepherd that is in the valley will lead through the valley. will take them out to the other side. And with all that rich imagery in the air, David suddenly kind of changes tact and and brings in this new image, not of the shepherd and the sheep anymore, but of the, this guest and, and the host, the host and this banqueting table and all these people milling around. Just like the mention of kind of the deepest, darkest valley kind of presupposes all this danger and threat and death in the air, so too does the presence of enemies. David isn't denying the realities of life in the psalm. He's not saying that life is a wonderful thing and we can sweep all the bad things under the carpet. What he's saying is that all this danger that's around, all the threats in our life, all the things that would disorientate us don't have the final word. The feast is enjoyed. The oil of anointing is poured out, not away from the danger, but in the midst of it. And the feast and the oil, will they speak of God's abundance? God doesn't do things in half measures. God always pours out abundantly all that we need so that we lack nothing. Again, his name and his reputation is on the line. As a host, you were to provide for your guests. And David was enjoying what the host was providing, but actually more than that, more than the feast and the oil, what David was enjoying was the presence of the host. You can be at a meal with something, and the meal may be wonderful, but actually, it's the company that you're in that makes all the difference. And so for David, it's not necessarily the place that he's in that makes the difference, but who he's with. And David realizes that it's God that's able to transform these situations, even in the midst of all the people that are around, all the enemies that would be around him. And so there's a kind of public nature to what happens. People will see in his life God's transforming actions. Even those who would speak ill against him will see God at work for God's sake and for God's name's sake. And so he kind of has made already confident statements about how he'll not lack anything and about how his shepherd will lead him through and so he has no need to fear evil. And he makes this final confident statement that says, because of this, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And when David's speaking this psalm, he's speaking it about himself 
and his own experiences, but actually the fact that we have it at all means that it speaks to us. What David says is true of him becomes true of us as people who follow after our shepherd. Our fears and our worries and our anxieties, those death things that hang in the air, don't have to have the final word. God has the final word. He presences himself with us all of the time, and that makes a difference. Even though enemies are on our heels, God's love and his faithfulness and his goodness pursue us yet more. And that's what's remembered, not the enemies. And so we with David can see that we will confidently dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And when he says this, what he conjures up is images of the temple, the place where kind of God's glory dwelt and resided, the kind of place that symbolized God's presence coming and being present with, and where people would go to worship and to adore and to lament, to praise and to, to say to God that things are not how they should be. This place where God's glory and presence and character was. The house of the Lord is the place where God's presence is. And yes, that's something for us when we die. But actually, more than that, the New Testament talks about us being that temple of God dwelling in us and residing in us. And so the truth for us this morning is that it doesn't matter where we go or what we face. There is never going to be a time or a place where we are that God's presence isn't. And that doesn't deny the realities that go on in our life. But it says that they don't have to have the final word. God has the final word and God says that he is everything that we need and will provide for all we need and will renew our strength. Even in the presence of our enemies. So that all the time, both here and in what is to come, we can say that we dwell in the house of the Lord forever that we enjoy his presence, that he is with us, and that we can worship not just in specific places, but all of the time in all of life. It's not a cliche. It's not some vain thought. It's a promise and a hope that's grounded not in our actions, but in the very character of God, in the very nature of God. God is true to his name. And so this morning I wonder, as we're only a few weeks into this new year, that could be full of all kinds of new possibilities, that could be full of all kinds of new dangers and threats, that could be full of times when we're able to proclaim God's goodness, having gone through those times. I wonder this morning whether you come and life feels great. Life feels like you're distanced from all the troubles. Or I wonder this morning if you come and actually just now life seems chaotic. It seems full of disorientating things. Or maybe this morning you've come and you feel like you've just come out of the deepest valley and you're able to proclaim again God's goodness. Wherever we are this morning, this psalm is for us. This psalm says that God has the final word always. And so we can proclaim that God is our shepherd. And this year we will not be in want, not for anything. And though David only mentions God's name in the psalm a couple of times explicitly. God's there all the time. Because in everything else that he mentions, he kind of draws out names of God in the Old Testament. He draws out aspects of God's character. 
I may pronounce them wrong. I'm not a a scholar in that sense, but, but let me just share some of them with you. When David says, we shall not be in want, what he's saying is that God is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. When he says that God will lead him by still waters, what he's saying is that God is Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. When he says that in doing that, God will renew his soul or renew his strength, he's saying that God is Jehovah Rophi. He is the God who heals. When he says that God will guide him along paths of righteousness, what he's saying is that God is Jehovah Shekenu, the God of righteousness. When he says that God is with him, he knows that God is Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. When he says he knows God's presence in the midst of his enemies, he's saying that God is Jehovah Nisi, the Lord who is the banner over him. When he says that he knows God's blessing and his anointing, he knows that God is Jehovah Makedesh, the Lord who sanctifies. God will be in our years both explicitly as well as implicitly. There will never be anything we face this year that God is not presencing himself in. And for us this morning, that is a promise that we can cling to. God will be true to his name. And in doing that, will bring honour to his name. And so let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you have um, put things in your word that just can have incredible meaning and promise and speak into our lives. And Lord, whether we're in a place of, of orientation where life is wonderful or, or disorientation where it seems chaotic or, or new orientation where we've just come out of a dark valley, Lord, thank you that you speak into our hearts and that you seal things on our hearts. And God, thank you that that doesn't mean that we need to deny the experiences of life the fear and the worry and the anxieties and doubts. Father, thank you that we can bring them to you. Knowing that you take them and you provide for all our needs all of the time. Not in some kind of fluffy way, but as a real reality in our lives. And so, Father, this year, while we're still at the threshold of it in one sense and looking ahead to what you have for us this year would you assure us of your presence in every situation and would we feel that and experience that in a real tangible way and in doing that Father would your name be honoured and glorified in our lives would people look at us and see the mark of you in our lives For we ask it for your sake and for your glory. Amen. Amen. As we come to our time of intercession this morning, as we pray for different situations, there's going to be a little bit of a response. Let me tell you about that first. After, uh, and each time we pray, there'll be a couple of moments of silence. And after that, I will say a sentence. So, for example, in the life of our world, And when I say that, would you respond with, your kingdom come, O Lord, your will be done. Your kingdom come, O Lord, your will be done. And so let's pray together. 
gracious God, rejoicing in your blessings and trusting in your loving care for all. We bring you our prayers for the world. We pray for the created world, for those who rebuild where things have been destroyed, for those who fight hunger and poverty and disease, and for those who have power to change for the better and to renew hope. We think of the news stories we've heard this week, Lord, and pray for you to be present and to act in all of these situations. For those who grieve the loss of loved ones in various parts of the world, in Australia, in Arizona, in Brazil, God, we ask for you to be the God of comfort. For those who have lost everything, including their homes, as well as some of their loved ones, in Australia and Brazil, and thinking this week of Haiti a year on, would you be the God who not only comforts, but the God who provides? In Tunisia, with all its unrest, would you be the God of peace? Lord, you know that these are but a few of the stories that we've heard, and there are so many more. And so in the silence, we ask for you to be very present and very real in a tangible way in our world. In the life of our world, your kingdom come, O Lord, your will be done. We pray for those closer to home in our communities here in Glasgow. We pray for people in need, for those for whom life is a bitter struggle. For those whose lives are clouded by death or loss, by pain or disability, by discouragement and fear, by shame or rejection. In the silence, we ask for your presence to be real to those in our communities and to the faces we have in our minds. In the lives of those in need, your kingdom come, O Lord, your will be done. We pray for those in the circle of friendship and love around us, for children and parents, sisters, brothers, friends, neighbours, and for those who are especially in our thoughts today. And Lord, we pray especially for Katrina that you would continue to make your very real presence felt to her, that you would provide for her every need that you would keep her safe, that you would renew her strength, that you would walk with her, that you would light her path, that she would know your goodness and your mercy, and that, Lord, you would heal her. In the silence, we pray, asking you for all of these things, knowing that you are the God who is more than able to do this. In the lives of those we love, your kingdom come, O Lord, your will be done. We pray for the church and its stand with the poor and its love for the outcast and the ashamed and its service to the, the sick and the neglected and its proclamation of your gospel both here and all around the world. Renew us, Lord, as we pray. In the life of your church, 
your kingdom come, O Lord, your will be done. Eternal God, hear these, our prayers, the spoken and the silent, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let's end together this morning by saying the grace together. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship with the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen.